0: I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6, and verse 12 is where we're going to be today. I've been so encouraged by the amount of engagement in this series. I mean, there's just a lot of engagement. People are coming and and coming and growing. They say in the church world that you preach about three things to attract a big crowd to your church. You preach about one of three things. You do sex, end times, or if there'll be sex in the end times. Uh, why are you here today? No, no I'm just kidding. Um, we're going to talk about one of those today. We're going to talk about end times. Specifically, we're going to talk about the end of the world. The end of the world is where we are and where we find ourselves in this book. Um, in, in Revelation 6, we have gotten this vision from Jesus given to John. John has penned it. And what we've seen is Jesus walking over to the throne of God, taking the scroll out of God's hand, and inside that scroll contain the final plans of the world, how it's going to end, the vindication for all Christians, the judgment on all people that oppose Jesus, all contained in this scroll, the end of everything. He's opened up five seals uh, so far. Today, he's going to grab the sixth and the seventh seal and open those up. Now, we've talked about how the first five seals really, uh, what they do is they communicate this unfolding plan of God's judgment throughout the history of the world. It's just this over and over and over again, cyclical fashion, God pouring out judgment on the world. Today, in verses 12 through 17, What we're going to see is the end of all of that. It's the end of days, the final consummation of all of these judgments, the end of the world, as I said. Now, when it comes to the end of the world, this is a topic that is not just uh, fascinates Christians. It fascinates all people. And from the beginning of time, people have been trying to predict the end of the world. Uh, even though that Jesus said that no one would know the hour of the day, people continuously ignore God and say, no, I think I can predict it. And it's been happening since the beginning of the church world. First century Christians thought that the end of the world would be in the year 500 A.D. Uh, when it didn't happen in 500 A.D., then it was of course, going to be a 1,000. A 1,000 is going to happen then. Clearly, it did not. Throughout the church history, there's another man, a French bishop by the name of Martin of Tours, and he, he believed that the Antichrist had already come, and by the year 400 AD, that that would be the end of the world. There's a, you're a pattern you'll see as we go forward. Martin Luther even took a crack at it and said that the year 1600, that the world would end then. Christopher Columbus, 1658, world predicting ended, clearly failed there again. We continue to go on and on. We see um, uh, right around uh, 1941 and 75 The Jehovah's Witnesses predicted that it would happen Clearly it's not happened there The great theologian Charles Manson Said that Helter Skelter would bring the end of the world In 1969 Alright now y'all, y'all, hopefully y'all get my humor here uh, He's not a true theologian uh, Pat Robertson it predicted when he was on the 700 Club. Maybe you saw that one. He took his first crack, said the world would end in 1982. Uh, then after that didn't happen, he took another shot and said it would end on April the 29th of 2007. So Pat Robertson is 0 and 2 versus the end of the world. Um, R.E.M. said in 1987, it was the end of the world as we know it, right? There you go. Some of you guys get, get, get my humor there. Uh, radio Preacher Harold Camping, Uh, this guy, he was a radio preacher. He took four attempts in the 21st century predicting the end of the world, all failing. I'm like, who's his audience after like the second attempt? Who's still watching this guy's radio show, right? Jerry Falwell uh, and Tim LaHaye. Remember Y2K? Year two, man, that's Antichrist, right? The end of the world, Y2K, it clearly didn't happen there. Uh, and then the last one here, I've got this guy named John Hagee and, and the blood of the moon prophecy. Uh, they said it would be between April 2014 and 2015. All of these pretender prophets, the end of the world is still undefeated. No one truly knows the hour of the day and the time. You'd think that these people would know, and they would try, learn the lesson, they would listen to the Lord. Uh, all these predictions, all they ever do is end up selling books, but then at the end, they make them look like fools. That's all it ever does. Now, you'd think I would learn to not predict the end of the world, but I've been studying really hard this week. I, I've put in extra study this week, and I have today, I'm ready to tell you, that I have determined the, the end of the world is going to happen between two specific dates, I I don't have the exact hour, but it's definitely between two dates. You can take this to the bank. Here it is. The end of the world will happen sometime between the day that Jesus ascended back to heaven and then the day that Jesus descends from the earth, the day that God has appointed. There it is, right there. Sometime in that gap is when Jesus is coming back. You're welcome, all right? Listen, as I said, no one knows the hour. No one knows the day. But what we're going to see today in chapter 6 and a little bit in verse 8 is we don't know the the hour or the day, but we do know what happens this day. And that's the glimpse that we're going to see here about the end of the world. Now, uh, there's a couple of different emotions when you start talking about the end of the world with people, Uh, it has the potential to. Comfort the disturbed. It also has the potential to disturb the comfortable. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll say it like this: it, it, Paul in Titus 2 said that the end of the world was the blessed hope for a Christian. That we would look at it and say, blessed hope. But well, how in the world could the end of the world be the blessed hope for the Christian? Because it's the end of all suffering, the end of death, the end of disease, pandemics and politics. The end of funerals and Facebook fights. Stress, anxiety, shame and guilt, war and crime. All of it. The end of all of it. The end of Nick Saban winning all the championships. The end of losing seasons for the volunteer fan. This truly is our blessed hope. All right. Uh, But for the unbeliever, this is not the blessed hope. It is the worst nightmare. Because this day is the day that God comes to judge their unbelief and their refusal to bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is some different perspectives here. I hope on the one that it takes the believer who might be restless with the end of the world and just infuses comfort into you. And that those who are just comfortable in life, eat, drink, be merry in the world, do my thing. And I hope it And you're just comfortable I hope it disturbs you a little bit I hope it wakens you up to the reality of what's going to happen at the end of this world and that unbelievers would believe today that would be my hope if you're here and you're not a Christian spoiler alert we want you to believe in Jesus we want you to understand that he is worth all of it that we're we're not crazy people we really do believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return, and we want you to know our Jesus. That's just hearts out there exposed, cards on the table. Uh, we want you to know who the Lord is. And, and, and so, so what we're going to talk about today, bringing you up to pace on where we are in our text. Last week, we saw the death of the martyrs, that Christians get killed every single day. They always have in church history, and we said, that's a terrible thing. We know it's purposeful, but we say that's terrible. Today, what we're going to see is something that is infinitely more terrifying than death, and that is the wrath of God. The martyrs cried out to God last week and said, God, how long before you avenge our blood and give us justice against those who have wronged us on the earth? Today, he answers that question, the time is now the judgment of God is upon us. And something else when we talk about the judgment of God, let me acknowledge. I understand that it it offends modern sensibilities. I, I do. I get that. I understand that you might even have been exposed to a church growing up. It was all hellfire, all brimstone, all judgment all the time. So even the thought of talking about judgment just kind of rubs you the wrong way. Listen If we proclaim to be the people of God, who believe in the inherent perfect word of God, we cannot deny or ignore the word of God when it talks about the fate of those who reject Jesus Christ. We have to. In fact, if I don't talk about it, you could clearly say that he doesn't really love us because he's not telling us the truth so we have to trust the word so we're going to do that today acknowledging all of these things are just man they're sometimes uncomfortable all right so let's get in three points and I'll tell you out of the gate probably not going to be a whole lot of amens I'm okay with it but let's uh let's go Uh, the first point I want you to see today is that judgment is devastating judgment is devastating let's read this in 12 through 14. The opening of this sixth seal brings cosmic and global upheaval, earthquakes. The moon is like a big red ball in the sky. Darkness falls, the sky is being rolled up like a scroll, mountains are getting moved, islands are moving. What's happening here? Is this all literal? That's the question you probably want answered today. Is this literal? It is literally all these things going to physically happen on the earth this day? It could be literal. I mean, we know earthquakes happen all the time. Earthquakes happen in the first century. It could be a volcanic eruption, spewing lava into the sky, darkening, clouding smoke. and Yeah, it could very well be literal things. However, the way we're approaching, where we're approaching the book of Revelation is that we're going to read it Figuratively as apocalyptic language, meaning it 's a symbolic for something else that 's the way we 're going to approach and read here, and one of the tools for us to understand what it is and what it means is is we refer back to the Old Testament to see if we can find similar language in the Old Testament that explains what's happening here and that 's what we 're going to do here I 'm going to show you a couple of passages in the Old Testament. Prophets often use cosmic and global upheaval to describe how God brought judgment against wicked nations in a symbolic way. And let's, let me show you a couple. In Isaiah 13:10, we see the prophet Isaiah describing the destruction of Babylon. Look at this one with me: "For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark as it is rising." And the moon will not shed its light. And Ezekiel describes the destruction of Egypt like this. When I blot you out, I will cover the heavens and make their stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon shall not give its light. All the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over you and put darkness on your land, declares the Lord God these are symbolic terms for God bringing judgment. Uh, earthquake is, is often used in the Old Testament to describe God before he's getting ready to uh, declare war uh, against all of his enemies and nations that are going to battle. Earthquake is symbolic. Stars falling from the sky was used in interpretation of Joseph's dream um, when it was talking about his brothers. These are all figurative explanations. Think about the mountains and the the islands getting moved. What do you what do you do with that? Does that mean the physical mountains are going to move? I don't think it means that. In the Old Testament, God referred to pagan nations as mountains and islands. So, I think here what he's doing, let me let me summarize what I think he's saying here. I don't think John is saying and prophesying these global physical literal catastrophic events. What I believe he's saying is this: that there is a judgment Uh, That God is pouring out on all rulers of the earth, uh, worldly powers, political systems, and governments that oppose Jesus. So all of those, think about world systems, pagan nations, all these powers. I think this is God's judgment on them. The ones that refuse to bow to Jesus Christ. So if you, uh, here's a moment here, as we talked about one of the chords I just struck was the government. Clearly we live in a world that does not submit to the Lord Jesus Christ in our governmental fashions. We all know that, right? We know we don't have a Christian government that's ruled and they don't bow to the knee of Jesus. If you find yourself as a Christian running around all of the time, woe is me, doomsday, the government's trying to get us. They're after us conspiracy theory. They're watching my phones. They're watching everything that we're doing. Listen, they might be doing all those things. They just might. But take heart. We have a blessed hope that there will be one day when the Lord Jesus returns and every government will bow to the knee of Jesus Christ. You have a blessed hope now. So as you go into the world, don't breathe despair on people. Don't walk around as the world walks around with defeat and despair all the time. It's a horrible witness, by the way. Who in the world would want that, right? Oh, you love Jesus? Well, you're doomsday like me too, right? No one wants that. Walk around as victors. We don't have to fear the government. We do not have to fear tomorrow because tomorrow has already been won. This is the end. All right, so let's make sure we're clear on that. We don't walk around in that way. This is a great picture that actually affects the way that we live our life today. Now, however you view this, either literal or symbolic, figurative, it doesn't really matter. The message is clear and it's the same for both people. God's judgment is coming and God's judgment is devastating. All right, let's go to the second point judgment is total. Judgment is total. Let me read this in 15 through 17 and show you. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come, and who can stand? Remember how we talked about the number seven signifies the word or a completion or total in the Bible. Seven days of creation, seven, seven, seven. Well, we just looked at seven facets of creation, God judging, didn't we? We just looked at uh, the stars, the sky. We looked at the sun, the moon, mountains, islands. That's seven facets of creation that will be judged by God. Now we've just looked at seven types of people that that completely control the entire universe. He lists seven types of people, which is inclusive, the universality of all people. He says this, he says, kings, great ones, generals, rich, the powerful, slaves, and the free. That all people, All types of people on the face of the earth who reject Jesus will be judged and that there's no distinction on the earth that matters. That God's wrath is a leveler of humanity. Kings won't be able to call upon their troops to fight the lamb. There will be no sanctuary for worldly powers you think about the most famous people in the world that you, we just love to idolize in this world you think about them for just a moment there is not enough fans that they have that will keep them safe on that day there's no amount of money that you can possess that will buy off God not Oprah money Zuckerberg money nobody not enough money to keep you safe on this day all classes and distinctions of people stripped away of their distinctions. The slave, the free, the rich and the poor, Asian, Hispanic, white, black, none of it matters on this day. So we can live our life, climb the corporate ladder, attain titles and 401ks and dream houses, put ring doorbell cams on our doors and collect a lot of social media followers. None of it matters. Because on this day, you will face the judgment of God, and it is a leveler of all people. This is a sobering, sobering picture of all who reject Jesus. But I think if you'll notice, what is probably the most important and instructive thing that we see here is look at the reaction of the people. Don't you think that this would be a great opportunity to confess and repent and believe. (laughs) I mean, they know it's God, right? They say, oh, who can save us? This is the wrath of the Lamb. So they are acknowledging in that moment, there's a God and he's coming for me. Isn't this a great opportunity to kind of take an account of your life and say, whoa, okay, I was wrong. God, you're right. I'm, I'm praising you. I'm gonna bow my knee. You'd think that would happen, right? But it doesn't. Instead, they do two things. Number one, they beg for mountains to fall on top of them to hide them from the face of God. They're literally begging for death because they would rather face death than face the wrath of God. You need to know that we live in a World that is obsessed with the preservation of life and death is the ultimate enemy. What this passage just says is there's something worse than death and it's the wrath of God. To be infinitely feared more than death itself. That's the first thing they do. They're begging to die rather than face the judgment of God. The second thing they do in caves, at the height of all folly. I don't know what is. Like, maybe if I run in this cave, then God won't find me, right? This is the, no amount of, and they're trying to hide. They got that part right. The problem was, is they looked at it. Why? Be holy God. And this is exactly what's happening with these people. Their sin is being exposed, and they're trying to, Listen, this is exactly the way we stand before God. All of us have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. He sees every single thing we've ever done in our life, in the closet, in the dark, and in the light. There's no escaping the penetrating gaze of God. We are completely, when we stand before God, as we do today and on this day, Completely exposed. And when we get exposed to a holy God, we're undone. We're like these people. But here's this good news this great good news of the gospel that says that Jesus Christ, for those that trust and believe in Jesus, that they get covered by his blood. They cover the person so that God doesn't see them. He sees the blood of Jesus and the judgment of God passes over them. Covered in the blood, protects you from seeing God. And then there's this beautiful picture that we see that once we trust are hidden in Christ. So let me read this to you. John, I'm sorry, Colossians 3.3. For you have died, follower of Jesus, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So once you believe and you trust in Jesus Christ, not just pray a prayer and get dumped not that, but you believe your life is hidden in Christ. You're hidden. God doesn't see you for who you are and who I am. He only sees Christ and you never have to run from the judgment of God ever and ever again. This is the beauty of the gospel Now, let me go back to the story because you would think, as I said, that's what these people would do. Let me trust in Jesus. Great time, last minute. I know I probably should have done it earlier, but let me just do that now. They don't do it. This is an ultimate display of what is known as total depravity or spiritual blindness. They just can't see. They are ultimately, like you and me, dependent on a divine and sovereign God to give them eyes to see, to waken them up to belief. If you're in Christ here today, it wasn't because you just got it. You didn't church your way to salvation. It was because you were dead and he made you alive. It was because you were blind and he made you see. It was because you were deaf and he gave you ears to hear and understand that you were not like these people. If not for the sovereign grace of God, we would be among these people. Let's remember our salvation. Let's not take any credit for it, that we were smarter than these people. They're so dumb, I can't believe it. No, it's all the grace of God. All be glory to him that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Let's go to this third piece. Judgment is awesome. Now, some of you are like, awesome? That doesn't look too awesome to me. that's because we misuse the word awesome we only use it in our language we throw it around and it typically means something positive great awesome like but the word awesome uh really communicates this ultimate admiration this reverence for some things that can be good but for other things that are just awestruck meaning wondrous it could be fear What's happening here is that there's just a different, ha- a different understanding of what's happening. It's not that it's all awesome. It's just, wow, awe. Let's look at what's happened. L- look at the passage with me. Let me explain it. Eight, one through five. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. rather than shouts of praise and this huge bust out, sing, worship service in heaven and Jesus taking a victory lap. That's not what, 30 minutes is up. That's not what that means. Some people say that this pause of silence here is, was a pause to let the, the prayers of the saints Get to God as they had, remember, they had prayed for vindication and justice, that it's just this space for them to do that. I think that's great. I think it's a beautiful picture. However, I think it's something different. I think silence is happening here because in the Old Testament, silence typically accompanied God's judgment. So God's judgment comes and heaven is awestruck at what just happened. They're like, they're speechless. They're awestruck. This is awesome. They just, it's just mind-blowing. It literally shuts the mouth of everyone in heaven because it's such a powerful understanding, the wrath of God. Now, I know that no one has a problem talking about the love and the mercy of God. No one has a problem about that. There's a lot of books being written about that. The problem is, is when the Christian um, looks at the wrath and the judgment of god and says i don't want that i want my god to be all of this and they literally say it doesn't feel good to talk about those things i don't want to do that even churches can fall into those traps hey i just want to preach i want I, my, my church focus is about the three b's butts in the seats building and budget so what i'm going to do is i'm just going to set it up and tell you god is just awesome He's glorious, he's love, he's mercy. He's got a wonderful plan for your life. You're good the way that you are. You're beautiful the way he made you. Like that's a half portrait of God. Those are true, but there's an entire other half portrait of God that we have to acknowledge. God killed and drowned all of humanity except for eight people in the Old Testament Brought plagues, destroyed millions of Egyptians. Every time the Israelites turn their back on God, read through the Old Testament judgment, 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 judgment. It's part of who he is. And then Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament with cords. He's whipping tail up in the temple because the Pharisees are misusing the temple. He's got a lot of anger and a lot of wrath inside of him. He looks at the scribes and the pharisees and calls them vipers he talked about hell more than anyone else in the bible jesus today would totally be canceled and blacklisted he's very offensive but this is who he is it's a part of his nature and his attribute and we cannot be people of god and ignore these things when we say that god is Wrathful, it doesn't mean he does wrath like me and you. Like we fly off the handle in a moment in traffic at home, yelling. That's that's just uncontrollable, unplanned anger and wrath that flies out. God's wrath's not like that. His wrath is very intentional, it's very, very calculated and well thought out. And it takes a lot of rebellion for God to pour out his wrath. He has a lot of patience, but there is a point where God has no patience anymore. Why does he not? Because he is love, but he is also wrath. His judgment is against anything unholy and anything that violates his will. And it's just part of who he is. And if God wasn't a just God full of wrath, why in the world would we ever need to get saved? Why would Jesus have to die on the cross if there was no punishment, if there was no wrath? It's all for nothing. But it was for something. The cross is this beautiful collision of the love of God and the wrath of God coming together. It's the intersection of God's wrath and his love. God's wrath Poured out on Jesus. God's love poured out on all who believe and trust in Jesus Christ. He should have killed us, but instead he killed his one and only son. That's what we're saved from. I think, I think we have lost the weight of the word saved in our culture. Oh, I got saved at camp one year. I got saved on a VBS. I got saved at when I did when I walked down the aisle. We've lost the weight of what that means. Do you know that we're, what we're being saved from? We're not being saved from Satan. We're not being saved from hell. We're being saved from God. Saved by God from God. Or let me put that the other way we're saved from God. By God. And that's what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. It's inconceivable that a God would be so holy and so just that he would come down to sinful men, became a, a man himself to die for people who didn't deserve it, to save man from himself. That's just, that separates Christianity from every other religion. But that is the beauty. Of the gospel. I think R.C. Sproul said that nothing was more powerful than God. Nothing's more dangerous than God. But there's nothing, no one more merciful than God. That's a picture of the cross. We have to see it in all of its totality. He is everything. Sam Storm said that God's wrath is a function of his love. That his love for holiness and truth and justice is so great that he cannot not pour out wrath on it. So this is, a, this is who God is. He's full of wrath. He is full of truth. Warren Wiersbe said it like this, and I love this one, that if we reject the love of God and refuse to receive the grace of God, then we will face the wrath of God. Today, some of you, you are still refusing the love of God. You see God as Pharaoh, dictator, angry, threatening to your life. He's always trying to creep into your schedule, always wanting more. Oh, he wants my money. He wants my Sunday. He wants me in life group. He wants me to read my Bible. Pharaoh, 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 Pharaoh. You do not see God properly. He is chasing you with love, goodness, mercy all of your days stop running from the love of God right so you don't have to run from the wrath of God later this is the glorious gospel today some of you are running from God and I want you I want you today to ask yourself do you really believe this end of the world is a blessed hope or is it your worst nightmare that will tell you where you are in relationship with God today. If you see it as worst nightmare into of the world, something's wrong with that. You can't sit on that. Either you have no clue who Jesus is or you need someone to help walk through the scriptures with you to help you understand why it's a good thing that we say, Jesus, come quick. But there's a problem there nonetheless you can't sit on that, right? I want you to know Jesus. I want you to understand why it's such a blessed hope. If you don't know, I want to talk to you afterwards. Somebody else will want to talk to you. I got a group of guys standing outside when we get done. Ladies, anyone that wants to know Jesus, to have their lives hidden in Christ, to be covered by the blood, please come talk to us. Text us, reach out, email, whatever you got to do, all right? We want you to know Jesus. I told you that up top. Um, For everyone else in the room, let me talk to you for just a minute, because this passage is full of application. There's so much going on here. Let me hit a few. Uh, Number one, it reminds us that we're free to um, enjoy and possess the things of this world. However, we need to make sure that the things of the world don't possess us, because in the end, they're all going to be gone. Enjoy them, but don't let them own you. All right, the second thing I want you to see is this, uh, that we have this, what this blessed hope actually means is that when we understand this properly, Christians don't ever have to fear the judgment of God. Never again do we have to fear the judgment of God. Let me show you why, John five twenty four. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life, not will, has it already. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. If you're in Christ, you've already been judged. Jesus Christ was judged on your behalf. There's nothing that you can do that can make God regret saving you, to take it away. Oh, I made a mistake. I didn't know you were gonna do this. No, You've already passed from death to life. There is no judgment for you. So you can have blessed hope. Here's another one. Clearly, we learn from this, we cannot run and hide from God. We can't run. We cannot hide from God. But if we want to get honest with each other here today, there are some of you here that you've been still running from God your entire life. It looks like outright rebellion. Let's, let's take, take away the fact that you're in a church right now. Just take that off the table for just a moment. Let's be real. You've run from God your whole life. You want things your way. You wake up wanting to do things that you want to do. You want to be happy. And because you've chosen to be God and run from God, your life marks pain and suffering and sin, sorrow. It just follows you all of your days. It's because you're running from the love of God. That's why. Don't run from God. Run to God. Run to God. Some of you are, it's different. You don't have the outright rebellion. You, you are more clothed in religiosity. There's a veneer of believers that you have you can because you go to church, right? Or you grew up in church, or you go to church, or you pray a prayer, you got baptized, you do some good deeds. It kind of lures you into this false sense of safety. And there's really no zeal for holiness. You don't run to God. Listen, you're, you're not safe either. A couple of questions I would ask you when you wake up in the morning. Do you run to God's word or do you run away from God's word? When you comes to money in your life, do you run to God to give, or do you run away from God and tighten up your fist? When it comes to gathering in the church, many you run to the people of God, or do you run away from the people of God? When it comes to serving God's people, do you run to God's people to serve Him, or do you run away from God's people? It, These are x-ray questions that really help us determine are we really running from God or running to God with the point being this, stop running from God. He's chasing you with love. Run to him and when you meet him, listen, here's what you get, open arms. No explanation needed, no timeout chair for you to think about what you've done in your entire life. Just open arms, grace, and love, receiving God in all his fatherhood. That's what you get when you come to Jesus. And I pray that some of you do that today. Here's another one. Obedience is better than revelation. Here's what I mean. Obeying what you know today is better than speculation about tomorrow. You know, as I said, that some people have this tendency to get in the book of Revelation and they get so caught up in end times that they forget mean times. Obey what you know right now. Like if you aren't reading your, if you're not reading God's word, if you're not praying to God, if you're not committed to gathering with the people of God, you don't need more revelation to do that. It's already been given to you. If you were in a marriage where it's all about performance-based, if you love me, then I'll love you back, you don't need to know what the seven bowls of wrath are to start loving your spouse like Christ loves the church. If you're sleeping with someone who's not your spouse, you don't need to know what the mark of the beast is to stop sleeping with someone who's not your spouse. Obey what you know right now, Right? obey every everything you see just obey it very clear let's go to the last piece here two more sorry we should live sent or die trying this is this end of the world stuff man it it is designed to infuse urgency in us of the impending judgment on anybody who doesn't love jesus so I guarantee you, if you're like my family, I know there's the families out here and neighbors and people out there that are rejecting Jesus Christ today. Go tell them. <laughs> we have to move. We have to live, sin, or die trying. It's not hateful to go tell someone that Jesus is the only way. What's hateful is not telling them at all. We keep things to the vest. Why? So we can secure a temporary friendship. How much greater should we go tell them about their soul and the judgment of God so that they can be friends forever in eternity, right? It's worth a sacrifice. Step across the street, tell your neighbors. We don't need additional revelation to do that. Finally, if you're here and you have not responded to God's invitation to love and grace. The door is closing and I want you to consider the urgency of your decision to continue to live for yourself and run from God. I'm going to read a story to you. In May of 1980, uh, a geologist had warned that Mount St. Helens would soon blow up and there was a man named Harry Truman, not the President Truman, but he, um, he was a caretaker of a lodge that was five miles north of Mount St. Helens. And uh, this is a volcanic mountain here. And he had heard the warnings uh, from friends. He had heard the warnings from the newscast. He even went on the news and mocked it all. Just laughed about it. No way, no way, no way, no way, right? Well, on the 831, on May the 18th of 1980, Mount St. Helen erupted. Millions of tons of rock flew 10 miles into the sky. Everything was gone, including Harry Truman. Church, we all deserve the judgment of God. Every single one of us are unclean before a holy God. Unworthy, deserving of judgment, but praise be to God that he has given us a way to escape his judgment through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You don't work your way to Jesus. You don't church your way to Jesus. You don't give your way to Jesus. You surrender to Jesus. And I pray that some of you do that very much today. All right, let me pray for you and we'll worship. Father, as I said, we... No, and we acknowledge that we are not worthy there's no one good no such thing as good people according to your bible your word that we've all fallen short of your righteous law god i thank you for providing a way out and a way to you through jesus christ god Help us to remember there's not one single person in the room that has out sinned the cross. No matter how far they have run away, they cannot outrun and run far enough that is beyond your reach. And I pray that they run to you today. In Jesus' precious name, amen.